Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. A bit of a break since uh, we've been on last. A lot has happened, a lot to talk about, a lot to go over. Uh, yeah, no better place to start than with the NCAA Women's Tournament. Uh, Northwestern winning a game in the tournament for the first time uh, in a really, really long time. Um, and then running up against a juggernaut of a Louisville team that, you know, we'll go into that, but, you know, we had every opportunity, uh, you know, especially early getting out to that huge lead and then Louisville scraping their way back and, you know, the final score of that game, I don't think was indicative of how close to the game it really was. But, uh, you know, to, just to get started, you know, huge win over Central Florida. Uh, Lindsey Pulliam going off that game, um, which she had to when Veronica Burton was fouled out by a couple really, really questionable calls late. Um, and, you know, Pulliam really stepped up uh, down the stretch. But, uh what what were your thoughts on the Cats kind of tournament run? Well, I think the the big thought, of course, and where everyone's mind is, is Pulliam. Um, mainly because I'd say she ultimately, you know, for all the way that the Blizzard as a whole defined so much of the run of this team overall and, and this season particularly Burton's play, you know, Burton throughout her career has kept going up and up and up and up and up. Lindsay has been such a, um, you know, such a figurehead of this team for so long. And she really ended up defining this tournament for the Cats because, as you said, she carried Northwestern. When they needed an absolute peak Lindsay performance, she delivered it against UCF and was really the difference in that game. And sadly, and just, you know, it, a, a crushing way and, and the most unfair way for her um, career to end, I think, you know, her failure to score was kind of the defining thing. Now, she wasn't the only one who had trouble scoring, but Lindsay Pulliam finishing with four points in her final game is not the way that anyone, you know, wanted to see this happen. And I think, you know, you mentioned the 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 fact that were you to look at the score, you'd say, well, Louisville had a comfortable, if hard-fought victory. And of course, if you watch the game, it wasn't remotely like that in any way. And we tweeted, you know, halfway through this game, a little more than halfway through this game. The fact of the matter is, I don't think Louisville ever does come back if Lindsey Pulliam is on. If the Lindsey Pulliam, who had the night she had against UCF, shows up, I think this game gets to a place where Louisville can't come back. I mean, it's, it's so bizarre. But we were blowing the doors off them. I mean, absolutely destroying them heading into the third quarter and ultimately Northwestern was done in by you know general the failure to to get a bucket and that started with Lindsay it's just so rough because um and again you know we'll we'll get to Jordan Hamilton who also you know this was her last game she had a great game but um just totally undeserved for a player who's been as phenomenal as Pulliam is for so long, been our heart and soul for so long, to go out this way. I mean, ultimately, the team leaves with their head held high. It was a great performance against the Louisville team that's looking fantastic right now. But, um, 
But again, that's that's kind of where my head was, just thinking about Lindsay, not just for her career, but the way she defined this tourney. Yeah, I mean, what what sucks from my perspective is that the, I mean, Louisville's a really good team. The optics, it looks like this catastrophic Northwestern collapse, right? And in reality, like Northwestern was the underdog. They were white hot from three to begin from three point to begin that game. That's that's how they built their lead. Neither Burton nor Pulliam got going in that game. I mean, Burton was what four four of twelve. Um, and I like I think we had talked a fair amount toward the toward the end of the season that when teams had a defensive answer, you know, essentially fast players who could also play with length and disrupt the likes of, of, of Burton and Pulliam that caused problems for Northwestern's offense. They didn't have a lot of other options to go to Courtney Shaw. When she reemerged became a fantastic option. And for whatever reason, Louisville's bigs, it, it was interesting. UCF was the team that everybody was worried about their bigs. And they did a amazing job of essentially disrupting Northwestern's offense, not allowing Veronica Burton to drive at all which completely took her out of her game. And then the combination of Hamilton and Pulliam just playing really well and, and hitting a lot of tough shots, et cetera, uh, plus Northwestern's incredible defense against UFC, you know, pulled them through, or UCF pulled them through. In that second game, the, the, th- the threes were falling, but not only was Northwestern unable to do their traditional like like drive and dish offense off of Burton, they were also really struggling to get the ball inside to like like Wood and Shaw would get the ball and go up for their you know their layups where they 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 generally get fouled and a lot of times you know get the get the ball to roll roll in as well and for the end one and that just wasn't happening they weren't getting the layups we 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 were. Miss, I think we missed six free throws in the Louisville game. We didn't get to the line nearly as often as we did against UCF, and it just Louisville did a really, really good job. I think they they stole some blueprints from UCF uh, in terms of of stopping Burton from driving. They did a really good job against our best players. I, you know, I had this thought after the UCF game that oh no, like Lindsay just had this incredible shooting game. My sense during the year is she she doesn't typically go back to back with really strong performances like that. And moving from that podunk high school gym to the Alamo Dome is going to screw with everybody's sight lines, and it, it was it was like a, watching a nightmare play out in front of you. Yeah. Also, in the Louisville game, um, you know, a big part is they, you know, cats were not turning Louisville over. Like they weren't getting steals, yeah. they weren't getting the fast break points. Well, they they were early, right? Oh yeah, they no, were early, early, early they Louisville were absolutely. When yeah. they got out to the big lead, uh, first half they were getting tons of turnovers and they were you know scoring in transition. But you know the middle of the second quarter on, like there was, I mean Louisville only turned the ball over five times in the second half. Well, let's give credit where credit's due, right? Like Dana Evans is probably their best player. Yeah, she was the 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 Ballyhood player coming in. Um, she didn't end up leading them in scoring or, or assists or, but like her, just her all around game in the last, what, like 12 minutes of, of that, of that game. It was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like she led them and, and she has continued to lead them since then as the, as they're such they're making a run to the final four. They're probably going to beat Stanford tonight. If, um, if things hold up right now, I think what it's a 
four thirty four thirty nine left in the third. Uh, they're up forty five thirty seven. Yeah. Right. So, so Stanford is kind of clawing back against them, but but yeah, um, I think you know it's it's something that I was thinking about because I was thinking about the the Big Ten tournament, the game against Maryland, right? And Maryland, who has looked you know awesome in the women's tournament as well. The I think one of the things, like you said, when the going really got tough offensively and the way that kind of really messed with everything, because the bottom line is. Northwestern, I mean, Louisville certainly did get more on track in the second half offensively, but Northwestern could have just kept scoring and made it impossible for them to catch up, um, was the size, right? And of course, Northwestern's issue has been rebounding, you know, this season. That's been one of the biggest things. This is a team, right, that lost the Abbeys last year, right? Shied from the outside, but Wolf, just a phenomenal performer inside. And that's been an issue, and they've had an issue down low. But I think one of the other things that you see just in general, and maybe I'm, you know, I'm colored partially by having watched that UConn Baylor barn burner, you know, last night, is when you look at a lot of the top teams, you fold Maryland into this Louisville in this, the amount of size they're able to throw onto the floor at the same time can just be staggering. And it's not just size in the low block. These teams can hit you with a zone where there's so much size and length and just effectively use that to stifle. And that's something that Northwestern's had some trouble with. Um, you see that where even Veronica, you can see her kind of get swallowed up in the amount of size that's out there. And it's, it's tricky. Again, um, some of these things are champagne problems, right? I mean, this is, these kind of things only matter when you have a team that is solidly a top 25 team in the country and you are looking to make deep runs into the juggernauts, um, of, you know, the, the blue bloods of women's college basketball. And that's where Northwestern is right now. I think, you know, it's kind of representative of a team that has has totally arrived and now is looking to try to find that next step. Um, I wanted to mention Jordan Hamilton. Again, so much talk about Pulliam, right? Because, again, she has just been this lion. This is an all-time great Northwestern athlete who has just finished her career. She deserves all the plaudits, et cetera. Finished her college career. She's playing pro. Yeah, right. Exactly. Not her basketball career. Yeah, c- correct. Um, and, and hopefully, come, come on, Chicago Sky, make the right move here. Um, but Jordan Hamilton um, was Northwestern's soul of this game for the first half. When everything was going right, Hamilton was driving all of it. And this is the player, you know, this is the other senior who Northwestern loses. And it was great to see that one of the two seniors had a really, you know, fantastic performance, at least in the first half, um, that really allowed Northwestern to get out to that lead. But... Ultimately, again, this is a team that, yes, there are some of these top teams. You see where this upper echelon is. You see these top eight to ten teams that really have this vice grip. We talked about it with Scott Seppich on the last pod um, on the women's game. And you see Northwestern trying to enter that club. But I'll tell you, you look at the way Michigan's played in this women's tournament. You look at the way Indiana's played in this women's tournament. And then you see the way Northwestern played those teams. And I think we're all very conscious of the fact that when everything was going for this team, um, they were as good as the very best. And I firmly believe that had Lindsay been able to put together, you know, that same that same performance, like Scott said, the back to backs with her, you know, can be tough. But had she, um, you know, been able to, and I don't want to say been able to, like it was a question of effort. I mean, this these kind of things happen. But had it happened. 
um, I feel confident that Northwestern could have beaten this Louisville team and kept right on going. We don't have a Paige Beckers or a Caitlin Clark coming in for next year, do we? Yes, I think like based on um, the women's basketball blog, uh, recruiting blog that that I dig into sometimes, we've got five newcomers to the team next year, three of whom were pretty big recruits. So Jillian Brown at guard, uh, Kaylee Walsh at forward, check, listed at 6'3", I might add. Um, helping our, our height for sure. And then uh, Haley Weaver, who was a pretty big-time recruit. T- top 30, did you say, John? Yeah, no, I think ESPN is, or is the number 35 recruit in the country, big time. Yeah, so then add, add you know, that to Anna Morris, who was a top 50 recruit. Paige Mott, who played a ton this past year and very well. Um, there's another there's another center listed as, as a newcomer next year, uh, Mercy Adem, Ademusayo, um, listed at 6'4", and then another guard, Melanie Daly. And we, we, we did we did just get a commitment from Caroline Lau. Yep, for that's twenty she's twenty two twenty three. Right, for next year. So but like I mean so so the, the the team is pretty filled out next year and if you look at you know, so we're losing Hamilton and Pulliam at five eight and five ten and replacing like every player that's coming in is bigger than them, um size-wise at least, you know, that's that's one spot where Northwestern has, you know, obviously struggled that's that's going to get shored up. be really interesting to see Kaylee Rainey if she gets to play more next season. Jasmine McWilliams got some run this year at shooting guard and will presumably be, you know, the fill-in for, for Pulliam, um, for, for some of Pulliam's minutes. Uh, Jessica Sancaltado, who I believe opted out for this year. Well, she was, um, she was stuck in Australia, I believe. That's what it was, yeah. So maybe not like chose to opt out, but <laughs> was was forced to opt out. Um, Shaw, Wood, Burton, presumably all back. Although Burton, you know, has has a decision to make, frankly. Um, and then you know we'll 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 see how we go. But like, I think the I think the big question is on the backs of on the back of this year, what happens to recruiting in twenty two twenty three? Well, we, Caroline Lau, yeah, I don't Lau think is a huge Lau is a huge pickup. What is she? Because I couldn't find her in like some of the rankings. I know like her 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 tape is unreal. Yeah. Um. And maybe I just wasn't looking in the right place. But like, like let's say we could put together a dynamite class for that year. That that's the sort of thing. And when we talked to to Lisa Byington um, last spring, that was the thing she talked about. Was Northwestern is not recruiting at the level that they need to recruit at to be be really knocking on the door of of you know, tier one B, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I will say though, this, this class that's coming in, this freshman class that's coming in, you're talking about three top, you know, 60 recruits and just imagining, oh, yeah. it's, imagining, it's, it's if awesome. the, imagining if the men had three top 60 recruits. I mean, that's, that's insanity. That's, it's, it's just an absolutely stack recruiting class. Yeah. And I think the, you know, it's funny decision to make. I mean, I guess, again, we were, would that, would that Burton, truly had a decision to make because the WNBA was able to provide the financial incentive for her to leave. Um, folded into that is this whole thing, you know, the backdrop of the women's tournament versus the men's tournament right now. And I think someone pointing out that if there was the situation, um, the NCAA was able to push through the legislation that allowed people to make money off their likenesses, all the women's basketball players would be far better positioned to make that money than the men's because they all have way bigger Instagram followings. And that there are some of you know, and they all know these... how to use TikTok, and the right, guys exactly, don't. 
Right, exactly. And a lot of these top women's basketball players have market values in the high six figures where they are able to make that money. But, you know, this is all a way of saying Burton most likely is coming back. I mean, Scott said right. I mean, like, talent-wise, sure. that You know, athletes like that who can run up and down the floor, I'm sure the WNBA will have a place for her. But I would say before that, um, with respect to all the recruits and, and you know, Sidney Wood, Paige Mott, etc., um, this this great overall team, Veronica's going to have her chance to really wear the mantle next year. I mean, she kind of... Oh, yeah. What she did from a public perspective, coming in in a situation where Lindsey Pulliam was the preseason conference player of the year with good good reason, um, Burton is a, a, a... You know, she's a comet. She's a rising star. She's gotten exponentially better every season. I remember watching her in the NIT as a freshman and being like, oh my gosh, this is a player who's taking leaps and bounds every single game. And she's just gone up and up and up. And I think, you know, that's the thing. Who knows how good she's going to be as a senior. Two-time uh, defense and player of the year. And yeah, re- with yeah returning to two-time two yeah. returning defensive player of the year, right? Right. And I mean, it's all, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. Again, it's, it's, bittersweet and somber because you know of the way the final game played out the way it could have gone um being so rough for Pulliam in particular but again yes Pulliam goes on on to the WNBA for Lindsay and yeah it's an exciting time for this team some turnover but it's major recruits coming in um and and big you know it's, it's funny you think of that and you say it sounds like the football team yep it is this is awesome women's basketball um, alongside awesome football. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see where this team goes going forward. Uh, spinning things forward, um, we've got spring sports to talk about. And oh my God. Like, you do, do we ever? <laughs> holy, like, where do we even start? I, I, I probably want to start with the lacrosse team. Probably uh, with the champions. Well, yeah. can, can we can we take stock of the spring? Yeah, first? please. I, I did this Aaron, on Twitter run, earlier run us today. Down, but run I, us down. So uh, it is what, – what, what day it is? It's, it's March 30th. Um, Northwestern Lacrosse is ranked number three in the country and have clinched the Big Ten Championship already. Yeah, and, and if I were the Maryland. number one and two, I, if I were number one and two, I'd be looking out. Let me just yeah, put it look, that way. Look out, baby. Um, women's tennis is ranked number four in the country. Women's field hockey is ranked number three in the country. The women's golf team is ranked 15th, and Irene Kim specifically is the 15th ranked player in the country as well. The softball team is ranked 22nd, and the baseball team is fourth in in the Northwestern Conference and like fueled fueled by a by a power surge of home runs that um, was frankly totally unexpected this year. I, think I was they were expected to be strong in their pitching. Of all of all the things you just mentioned, baseball is the most surprising. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like yeah. that's. That's incredible. I know there are other sports playing this spring. Neither of the soccer teams are having a great year. Um, men's wrestling is doing quite well, but I, like those things are are. I, I, I kind of wanted to focus on like your traditional spring sports, which are all just effing killing it right now. It is. It's insane. I mean, I think the the women's golf. I mean, women's lacks, should I say, is probably the big thing because of. I think expectations and then the expectations being high and this team racing past those expectations, which is just, it's just amazing. It's, they are, 
they were expected to be very, very good. The preseason rankings, you know, just laid that out. And then they've totally outperformed. That They may be the best team in the country. Um, Pat Fitzgerald has declared as such on Twitter recently. I We do not argue. Again, this is a team that is the conference champion. They are ranked number three. They have smacked every team they've played this season. I mean, smacked. This they, team is... Yeah. They've, so I think, believe, I can't remember if Johns Hopkins was top 10 when they played Johns Hopkins, but they've played three, like, legit opponents. Right, and lit them on fire. Yeah. yeah. Johns Hopkins, they they basically doubled up both games. Penn State, they doubled up in game one. And then, like, the second game against Penn State, they won 17-13. It's the only close game they've played. They doubled up number nine. Granted, it's a young Maryland team, but number nine Maryland. Perennial superpower Maryland. And, and our, our bugaboo, right. Absolutely doubled them up twice this weekend. Izzy Skeen scored 14 freaking goals over these two games. And I think what's what's really stood out to me, and I know I sent you guys some 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 deep dive stats on this earlier today, but what's really stood out to me is watching this team, the defense and the draw controls in particular. Oh my god, the draw controls. It's it's reminiscent of what we saw from the national championship run back in the late aughts, because that was the secret to Kelly Monty's success dominate the draw circle dominate time of possession because that was a time when the shot clock was not did not exist in women's lacrosse or men's lacrosse for that matter and then be super efficient scoring the ball through an absolute dynamo like a Christian Gelman or later a Hannah Nielsen or um, a Shannon Smith etc etc but but that was the formula from the, that national championship season on, if you, you look at the, the yearly stats of Northwestern's team, you can see their dominance in the draw circle just like slowly waning. You can see their shot percentage just slowly waning. You can see the opposing shot percentage slowly gaining. It just like it, it just it just tells you like this team was a dynamo at the start and then they had a target on their back and everybody was like, Well, this is what Northwestern does. They're really good and we are going to strive to be better than them at something, right? And and women's lacrosse effectively caught up. How many freaking D1 teams are coached by players that were part of the Northwestern program? A lot. Odds, right? A lot. But it's interesting. So I basically, I graphed out like seven or eight different stats from the team. And it's, what's fascinating is you can basically see the Northwestern lacrosse program bottom out in 2017, which also happened to be Quote, unquote, bottom out. I mean, well, yeah, quote unquote bottom out. I mean, I, I want to say they were like 500 on the season, but it's it's the year where like it's their lowest shot percentage. It's their worst, you know, ratio of goals scored to goals allowed. It's it's the the highest turnover year. Um, it's also you know Selena Lasota's freshman year, right? So like she's you know our our, our the next superstar at Northwestern is just getting started. But it is also the year that they instituted the shot clock, where teams now have 90 seconds you know from gaining possession to matriculate the ball down and take a shot right and that changes the face of the program especially when kelly monty hiller's strategy has been win the draw have possession grind the game down and be super efficient scoring right like that does that that strategy is like doesn't work when there's a shot clock and what you've seen in the four years since is this team adopt a much more aggressive offensive approach. They've flipped the script on the on a lot of the trends on those stats. And you've seen, you know, 
the ratio of shots, of turnovers, of draws, the the shooting percentage for for opponents, all these things start to move in in a positive direction for Northwestern. And then it's like in 2021, they've put it all together. The goals scored to the goals allowed has skyrocketed. The the draws, the the shot ratio, the shot percentage, everything is at like it it hasn't been higher than this since since like 2012, 2013, like essentially the last time they won the national championship. And it just it it's it's telling you that this team is putting it all together. The thing that really stands out to me, though, I don't think we've ever had a, an offense this diverse and deep before. Like we've had the great defense, we've had the draw controls, we've had the you know the the, the incandescent player um, in the way that that Izzy Skane is playing right now. But to have Skane and Gilbert and 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 all these other players that are so effective on the offensive end, it just it's it's a thing of beauty to watch. As our friend Tom McGrath said over the weekend, you know, during the Maryland game, it's like carpet bombing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not fair. Can can we talk about Aaron Koykendall's goal with one Holy second hell. left at the end of the first half? You know, the Maryland is up seven to six. 47 seconds left in the first half and they, they've it, it, they've done a phenomenal job um on Izzy Skein. Yeah, this like Skein has I, not like scored at this point. Yep. Like Skein held off the board in the first half. And then to to tie the game with 1.6 seconds, Koikendall gets the ball behind the back. Beautiful goal right before the buzzer. It was like it, it was like a no-look-behind-the-back shot. It that, was just—it um, was the, absolute filth. It was ridiculous. It's the, it's the nastiest goal I've ever, I've ever seen. And I've, I've talked about this before, that my favorite thing in, in lacrosse is that after every goal, um, there's a stick check. So basically the, the, the shooter has to give their stick to the referee, and the referee looks to make sure that, you know, the pocket hasn't, you know— the, the, the pocket is the right depth. And it, I mean, it says it's akin to in hockey. If, if after every score, the ref checked the curve of the stick. Right. Um, but what this means is that in, in women's lacrosse, basically anytime there's a goal, you get a bat flip, a veritable bat flip. <laughs> yeah. afterwards. It's a and mic. It's, so it's a mic drop. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it is the, it's funny. Going back to what you were talking about, I was thinking about, you know, the effective adjustment that Kelly Monte Hiller had to make in the shot clock era and the the way she's done that. The only comparison you can make is to another coach who has seven national championships and that's Nick Saban. And I think the, Yeah, that's a that's such a good oh, that's such a phenomenal analogy. It's all you can say is the very best uh, can adjust their style to fit what's going on. I mean that's the bottom line. Is like Nick Saban totally reinvented what Alabama does offensively. And that's what Northwestern has done. Um, well, and- we, we said it last year going into the season, right? Or in the early stages of the season. I mean, it just, it seemed like Northwestern's strategy last year was just, all right, we've, we've got a lot of really good offensive players. We're just, just going to try to outscore everyone. Right. And this year they've been able to put that together with all the other tenements of, of Amati Hiller's approach. And it's just pure dominance now. Exactly. I think you can just see the way that she has adjusted and figured out this new era. And again, it's like that's Saban. Like you want to say, well, that's, that's what the best coaches do. Well, best is like, yeah, the very best. It's a short list. Um, and she's <laughs> got a chance. And again, this team is ranked. I mean, not to be cocky, they're ranked third in the nation because they haven't played the top two teams in the nation yet. This is a team that's throttled everybody. 
and she has put them in a position um, to get to definitely to get number eight. And it's going to be wild to watch because now, you know, the big time stuff is the, the tourneys are about to get warmed up and this team has looked nothing but phenomenal up to this point. Well, and then UNC and Syracuse are, are the ones that we're looking up at right now and they both look amazing. Um, but, you know, let's get so, it. So do the cats. It's, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be lit. Yeah. Three more games left in the regular season, two against Michigan and one against Ohio State. Uh, they beat Ohio State earlier this season, twenty-three to seven, and uh, then they then they're off to the Big Ten tournament. So that, that was the game where I think Izzy Skein beat beat Ohio like scored more goals than Ohio State yes, on her own. I, I believe that's right. Is fifty-six goals in nine games? Holy crap! Can, I, I just want to like call out so. I think the the Big Ten player of the week in just about every single one of these sports was a Northwestern player. It was Izzy Skein. It was um, Goosenberg from the baseball team. It was um, I forget if it I forget who it was from the softball team. Uh, Sydney, Sydney Supley maybe from the from the softball team. Like basically every sport was a Northwestern player. All on just these offensive explosions. Speaking of softball. We would be remiss if we didn't shout out Kate and Carol Drohan for setting the all-time wins mark at Northwestern um, with their win over the weekend. Uh, 641 career victories uh, for the Drohan sisters as coaches of the Cats. And, uh, you know, they broke the record of Sharon Drysdale, the, the woman whose name adorns the stadium that they play in. Uh, so rarefied air for them and softball just looking fantastic. I mean, it's, it's they've, they've it's, lost one game, right? It's, it's so ridiculous. They're giving up less than three runs a game through 12 games. I mean, that, that's it. I mean, that was something we knew going into the season. And of course, this is a team that was robbed of a season a year ago. So you have to go all the way back then. Um, to Danielle Williams' sensational freshman year, where I think eventually they got to a point in the tournament against, again, the powerhouse teams, the teams representing the South and the West, um, that really, I mean, you look and it was like Minnesota and Northwestern were the two not from that group who were competing at, at a high level. And you see, okay, eventually they reached a point where their bats kind of let them down, Um but defensively, they never lost it. And this team is fine on offense thus far. Defensively, it's just, you know, we know where it starts. We know about the cannon. The cannon that is Danielle Williams, who is, you know, I we, we tweeted out that people need to appreciate that right now, um, you know, Lindsey Pulliam, Veronica Burton, Danielle Williams, and Izzy Skein, you all got to see them play in the same spring. And how big of a deal that is. These are all all-time Northwestern female athletes. All-time Northwestern athletes, period. Um, and and Williams is one of them. And with her at the mound, this is, you know, this team can really play with anybody. And again, it, it's tough because with COVID, not, no non-con, right? No chance this year to to go up against an Oklahoma right off the bat, right? And measure yourself in, in that kind of game. But thus far, they are throttling the Big Ten. I mean, it hasn't been close. It's If you look at these scores, it's not wins and losses. Teams just don't score against Northwestern. 
Um, and again, we'll see. You know, Minnesota's still coming up, um, and and Michigan is still coming up, and and we're going to see how Northwestern measure, measures up against those teams. And beyond that, will be the tournament. But I mean, Lord have mercy, you really can't ask for a better defensive team than what Northwestern's putting out right now. Well, and the hitting the hitting has been there as well, which which is I think if you look at really good Northwestern softball teams of the past, that's been the problem. Um, and the, and the hitting has really been there. They've been, there's, you know, a huge walk-off, uh, home run against, I think Wisconsin, um, to, to preserve, you know, a sweep earlier this weekend. And, and that, that's, you know, whether it's Maeve Nelson or Jordan Rudd, Morgan Newport, um, Sydney Souple, like they've, they've been hitting the cover off the ball. Um, they're, they're, averaging 308 for the year with an OPS of 850 you go back a couple seasons and it's 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 not as good right 266 uh you know 831 on the OPS now granted they haven't played the same level of competition this year but still like this team can they're, they're not just a dominant pitching team like we've seen from some past uh, instances of Northwestern, like they, they can beat you in multiple ways. I, I, I don't know what else to say here. Um, what any other, you, I, I think we would be remiss, John. I, I think this is uh, pretty close to your heart. Uh, Northwestern fencing this year, third place at the NCAA championships. Yeah, the it it is close. Um, my wife, former All America fencer. I mean, it's funny though. I think fencing is a sport that at Northwestern has kind of quietly always been really, really strong, right? And women's fencing has always been a, a dominant Northwestern program, but it's always been kind of one of those weird things where people say. You know, it's the kind of thing where people will want to dismiss something like that if your quote-unquote revenue sports are not strong, etc., right? But then the, the flip side is when you have sports like that that have been strong and then they just stay strong and then other sports start to join them, then all of a sudden it's really quick acceleration to, oh, this is just one of the best athletic departments in the country, which is what it is right now. I mean, I think it's funny, like, you just can tick off all these sports. I mean, we were laughing, um, you know, a couple of weeks back. Some poor Illinois fan stumbled into our, um, into our, <laughs> uh, into our, oh, our that dude. Uh, into our comments to try to start some smack based entirely around Illinois basketball. And was like, well, aside from football, what do you guys even have? And we were like, I mean, do you want us to list it? Okay. <laughs> and then we just went off, and he was like. Yeah, but it was like, yeah, no, yeah, congratulations. You have a great men's basketball team. Which got We're curb gonna... stomped by Loyola Chicago. Yeah, right. Not the best in Illinois or the Chicago area, but okay, great. Um, we're good at everything else. And, and and that's not hyperbole. I mean, it is, it's high time right now. And, and, you know, like you said, field hockey being so strong right now too. Well, well and, and... – let us not forget Tracy Fuchs uh, set the, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, uh, all time wins um, record for women's field hockey as well. Now that, right. that got set that, you know, she, she broke that record the same weekend that the Jurahans, um broke the softball record. Right. And it's funny <clears throat> to just to juxtapose this with, um, you know, lacrosse just 
absolutely flattening people. Field hockey's been doing it in a really exciting fashion. Um, not unlike the Northwestern football that we, 2017 Northwestern football that we referenced on Twitter recently, the women's field hockey, three consecutive overtime wins right now, um, including Ohio State in double overtime. So they're getting it done um, in, in the most exciting way possible. But yeah, eight and two, they're hot right now. Um, it is. It's, it is fascinating. And like Scuzz said, even baseball getting into the mix, just dropping home runs left and right. So, so, so we, we probably get asked to talk about baseball more than anything else um, that we don't that we don't talk about that often. And probably part of the reason we haven't talked about them that often is they just they just haven't been that that good. Um, but what was interesting. So last year in the, the short period of time that they got to play, I think I think they they played 13 games. Um, the the prevailing thought was, wow, Northwestern's like really strong on the mound. They've got some really good pitchers and it'll be really to see really interesting to see how they how they build on that the, the the next year um and you know i think i think most everyone is back on that front right we've got you know reed smith um is uh it, it, no not reed smith sorry who are who are our big starters um mike doherty tyler tyler uberstein um, quinn labelle uh quinn labelle and jack dyke so Uberstein and and Doherty, I think, are the Uberstein at least was the one who was really really good last season, and there was a lot of thought that coming into this year, like, wow, we're gonna see we're gonna see what these guys can do, and it's it's been the hitting that's been that's been awesome. Um, They're averaging ten runs a game over their last five. <laughs> so so the last three years, 2020, 2019, 2018, they basically averaged two fifty batting average. This year, it's over three hundred. Their OPS has gone from an at from like roughly 700 in those three seasons to to 941 this year. 29 home runs in uh, what we've got 14 games is more home runs than they hit in 49 games in 2018. <laughs> they only hit 28, and more games than they hit in in 51 games in 2019. Um, they've they've really brought some serious power to the ballpark and I like some of that might be the competition I don't think they've played the top teams in the Big Ten yet but Sean Goosenberg I mentioned him earlier um has just been hitting the the cover off the ball well Anthony Uh, Calarco hitting 441 OPS of 1.354 five home runs oh my god he's slugging 847 that's a softball number (laughs) (laughs) on base percentage of 507 yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we have four players right now who, between them all, have 22 home runs. And that is right. That's not a position Northwestern baseball is traditionally in at this point in the season. And again, it's not to say things are perfect. Like Scus said, I think um, there was an expectation that maybe the pitching would be a little bit better than it has been. And maybe it still you know comes together. And if it does, Lord have mercy. I mean, this team may really have something special. But yes, 9-5. and five, through the first 14 games is uh, for Northwestern baseball. That's great. And, that's really good. Yeah. yeah. And especially on the backs of everything else that's going on. Um, it's exciting. And it's, it's going to be, it's just exciting at this point to be like, yeah, wow, here comes the back half of Northwestern's baseball season. Or, I mean, they certainly have a lot of games left, 
But a start like this, you're certainly looking and saying, oh, yeah, let's let's see where they can go from here. Let's see these bats stay hot. When I, I promise I'm not a shill, but I am going to make a little bit of a plug here. The, the, the BTN Plus streaming service, um, it's not that. It's, it's, a, it's a few bucks a month, but, ba- but you can basically get a Northwestern-only subscription. I mean, if they want to make us a shill, like, you well, know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please do. But, but so, like, I've tuned in, you know, here and there to some of the baseball and some of the softball and, and lacrosse when it's not on BTN and that sort of thing. And it's it's nice and easy. You can usually get it on your phone, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty great. But there was a moment just, you know, bouncing around and, and keeping it, keeping an eye on Twitter as well on Saturday where I saw that uh, Sean Gusenberg – um, Mike Troutwine and Sydney Souple from the softball team all went yard within like moments of one another. Um, and then you've also got, you know, Jill Girardi uh, running around on the, on the, on the, the lacrosse team creating havoc. Um, I might add that Tony Amante's uh, daughter plays on that team as well. There's just, there's just some really fun storylines and connections. And it's just, it's kind of fun to immerse yourself in, in this stuff as you're, you know, futzing around uh, uh, in in the yard or whatever on the weekend. So um, I just, I encourage everyone to like, like take advantage of this. This is as good as we've ever had it. And it's um, a lot of fun. And this is on, you know, just having sports at all this spring would have been great after last spring. And instead we're getting the best possible sports. So yeah, absolutely. Get that plan if you can, but soak it in. Um, Just as an, as an aside here, uh, just went final. Stanford 78, Louisville 63. Oh, my. Oh, so third, third, Louisville, Louisville got louisville Yeah, exactly. It was, <laughs> yes, they Lu- did. Yes, when we started this pod, Louisville had a strong lead. But, again, that just goes to say the there is that wall between, you know, the the – where North, you can see where Northwestern wants to get to. They need to get to where Louisville's getting to, and then you look at Louisville and you see, you know, wherever. But again, it's Northwest women's basketball has never been better as a whole, and that Northwestern's in that conversation is, is you, awesome. You mentioned that barmer last night between UConn and Baylor. Oh my god, uh, so that's good. For, it's, that's and for, and for anybody complaining about the foul, the the lack of a foul call on the final play i would also encourage them to look at the lack of the foul call on the previous play and a yeah. couple other spots but regardless like um there were there was a there were a lot of people saying like this should have been the national championship yada 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 and then i heard a lot of other people saying like that conversation shouldn't happen without stanford being involved and you can see why that is with what they did to Louisville down the stretch tonight sure i mean i that was but that i that's the best basketball game i've seen this year i mean and that's women's basketball and I don't think a lot of people are arguing with that I mean that was just two powerhouse teams Gonzaga does not have a 1B and UConn may very well be the best team in the country but Baylor gave them absolutely everything um so yeah while we're talking basketball though right so yeah no yeah kind of didn't want to go down this road but you know this is something that we all thought might be coming down the pike. Um, we, we've we've been foreshadowing it for two years. We really have. Yes. Uh, Miller Cop transferring, uh, hitting the transfer portal. Don't blame him. Um, Not at all. You know, he has the potential of, of you know so much more than what he's been able to to show at Northwestern, and you know, there's I'm sure a, a ton of reasons for that. But you know, we hate to lose him, but good for him for making this move 
And, you know, we'll see where he goes. But I, I think, you know, he if he goes somewhere where he can really just... All he'll need to be is a spot-up shooter. He could be deadly. Absolutely. And I think it's... First of all, I think the, the obvious comparison that I think one could make would be to Ben Skoranek. Um I think... You know, it's so easy to to look back now and think, oh, well, you know, Peyton Ramsey and everything kind of came together the way it needed to on offense for us last year, opposite the, you know, the unbelievable defensive performance we got. But there was no reason to believe that any of that was going to happen at the time that the previous season ended. Yes, Mick McCall was immediately let go, but there was a lot of flux and, and we did not know what was going to be going on at this point. And Ben Skoranek had one year to position himself for the NFL draft and prove as much as possible and utilize his skills. And Notre Dame was the best place for him to go. And then ultimately it ended up working out great for him. It ended up working out great for us. It was wonderful. Um, but Miller finds himself in a very similar situation. Like Sam said, a very specific set of skills, right? One thing he made clear very early on is that he can shoot. He can shoot really well. He's a great spot-up shooter, right? And he his role just was ever-changing at Northwestern and never made total sense. And I think there were situations this season where you could argue that in a bizarre way, like the best lineups that Northwestern could put on the floor didn't necessarily involve him. And that's not shade at him. It's just... This team was and has been constructed in such a weird way, and those pieces have not been put together effectively. And he's got to position himself for a potential future pro career in basketball, whether that's overseas or whatever. Um, And he needs to go to a team that can effectively create space for him and allow him to demonstrate that he's a really effective spot-up shooter, that he can, you know, you give him the ball and he's good to be a supporting cast member. I mean, I'm just, we were watching Gonzaga play tonight, and I'm thinking, you couldn't integrate Miller Cop into this offense where he's the sixth or seventh man off the bench, and he comes on and just like, you know, oh, he's going to come on and find open spots and take threes and knock them down. Um, and I think that's probably what he's going to be looking for. So, you know, right. I It's, you hope that he ultimately finds the same kind of situation that Skoranek found, where he's playing at a high level in a supporting role, and is able to to show out, you know, the way that we know he can. Uh, lest we end things on a down note, um, there is some football news that uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about. Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first recruit of the 2022 season, uh, Reggie Florima, uh, wide receiver, four-star receiver out of Naperville Central, uh, made his commitment uh, since our last podcast. And... Um, if you guys have looked at his video, wow! This is this kid. Hello. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Six two two hundred as a uh, junior, I, I guess. Um, yeah, he's playing right now because Illinois uh, high school football playing in the spring. Um, but yeah, he playing now. He'll play again next fall and uh, then matriculate his way from Naperville. Uh, up I-88, and then making his way to Evanston. Huge pickup. And uh, Louis Vacare and, and his team had a really great interview with him. Um, and he was talking about how he wanted to commit early so he could then start recruiting uh, guys to come to Northwestern as well. So, you know, success breeding success. 
Florima, huge pickup uh, to start off the 2022 a recruiting season for the cats. Turns out it's nice to get a four-star receiver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so the book on him, um, the short of it, um, I'll lead with, he's a brick bleep house. That's, that's the, the way I'll start with him for a wide receiver. This guy is jacked. Six two 200 is no lie. He's six two 200 all muscle. Um, as a junior in high school, as a junior in high school, he's, it's a, so again, he does all the things you'd expect a wide receiver able to do. Runs great routes. He's got great speed. He's got good hands. Where he really jumps out to you, though, is strength in one-on-one matchups and especially blocking. Oh my gosh. This guy in high school is ragdolling secondaries like you've never seen. Um, and you can watch video, you can watch interviews on online where his dad basically made him play offensive line and then tight end, knowing that he would switch to wide receiver because he wanted him to learn how to block the right way. He is a dominating blocker. Um, he is the kind of guy that, if you're running to his side, he effectively is another tight end. And you're talking 6'2", 200. So he's not massive. But, you know, we were talking the, 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 the biggest comp we see is Rashad Lawrence, who a lot of people forget was a really big recruit for us that we pulled out of Florida and was, you know, of course, one of the greatest blockers. I mean, there the I feel like in honor of Lawrence, I'm already preemptively preemptively getting super mad at refs who call Reggie for holding when what he's really doing is just beating the crap out of a defensive back. It's that kind of, I can already see myself screaming. It's not holding if he's driving the guy 15 yards down the field. Um, it's he's that kind of guy. So again, like the receiving and everything, like he's four star for a reason. Um, he's a big physical receiver, but you know, you see this and you're like, oh my gosh, if you're trying to establish a running game, this guy is is a dream pickup. The one other thing I would say, aside from the fact that he had a bunch of big offers, Penn State, you know, Iowa chose us over these guys, um, is that Wisconsin, so he visited Wisconsin. I don't know that Wisconsin offered him. And this may just be me, you know, way over reading this. But on paper, he is a perfect Wisconsin wide receiver because of his size and what he brings to the run game. And I really wonder if Wisconsin looked at where we are at this point in time and where he is and our relationship with him and was like, we're not getting this kid. Northwestern's Northwestern's going to get him. And again, I may be overanalyzing, but I don't feel like it's too much of a stretch to say that the number 10 team in the country can look at an in-state, local, four-star recruit who it really wants and be like, yeah, we really want you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I really want to go to Northwestern. Like that makes sense. That's the way it should be. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think there's a reason that maybe a school like Wisconsin is like, look, the bottom line, we're just not getting this kid. Northwestern's going to get him and he's going to be great for them. Um, So that's, again, yes, fantastic way to kick off the class. 
Uh, anything else to mention tonight? Um, just kind of want to keep in the back of everyone's minds. We are less than a month from the NFL draft. Uh, plans are in the works for our annual <laughs> live draft pod uh, with the Hell guys yeah. from Winnie's Cures Everything. Um, we're it's it the eleven years of of unhinged live draft pods have been a f- building the foundation for this draft pod. The the it'll, I mean like this is the greatest draft in Northwestern history. Like what can you what more can you say? Yeah, two probably two first rounders for the Cats. Um, we will get uh, all the information if you want to uh, jump in on the live stream uh, with us. Uh, we'll we'll have all that on on our website as soon as we get things finalized. But Plans are in place. Uh, I know we're all looking forward to it. Um, you know, Gary and Chris from Winning Cures Everything are looking forward to it. We've been talking about this for a while. So uh, kind of keep that in your back of your mind. Uh, night one of the NFL draft. Uh, join us. And uh, yeah, good times will be had by all. Anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight? I just want to I just want to uh, say a few words of remembrance for my daughter's bracket in the Westlot Pirates Tournament Challenge. Um, it was an unbelievable run for CeCe's Fat Animal Bonanza. Uh, CeCe's Fat Animal Bonanza, through three days and one game of the tournament, was in the 99.9th percentile. Based on my six-year-old daughter's formula of picking animals over any team that did not have an animal mascot and picking the fatter or cuter animal in any animal mascot. And on the strength of that, she was 99.9th percentile through the first 3.1 days of this insane tournament. Um, And since then, uh, particularly when the chubby Oregon duck was eliminated from the tournament, things have gone downhill. But uh, it, it it was a great run. Well, I, I I might have to just tack on to that briefly. He's not in the Westlap bracket, and he has never been in that percentile. But my son, Robbie, picked Oral Roberts to win it all. Um, <laughs> we, we live in Ohio. When Ohio State is on, with the exception of the Big Ten Championship, he usually says something like, I want to root for both teams because we live in Ohio, like that sort of thing. So I really thought he was going to pick Ohio State, and I was thinking, like, oh, man, he's going to pick a pretty good bracket. And then I I cringed. Like, I wish I had taken a picture of my face as he said, I'm going to pick Oral Roberts because it's got my name in it. <laughs> and then proceeded to do that on every additional um, pick line. And, I, like, by the end of it, like, my – my face wasn't actually in my hands because, like, that's fine. You're five. Do do what you you do, you buddy. But I was also thinking, like, man, he's gonna be really bummed out when they get axed in the first round. And then I managed to get a video of him watching them knock out Ohio State, who I might add his mom picked to win the whole thing. And um, the level of excitement was awesome. It was even he was even more excited when they beat Florida. Um, he has he has only watched through the third quarter of the Arkansas game. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't actually know that they've been knocked out yet, but um, it was it was a pretty amazing uh, a pretty amazing run for for to have to have that 15 seed so specifically represented in my house. So um, my my daughter my daughter went with a different 15 seed all the way. Uh, for some reason, she was all in on Iona Rick Pitino. She's you know, had a little bit of a history lesson. Felt like. Yeah, right, right in the old, uh, the old coach to victory, 
Uh, it did not go well for her. And she was didn't really care because she's four. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we should probably mention, we should shout out Gary from Winning Cures Everything. Uh, our, our good friend has a really decent shot of winning both the men's and women's tournament pick'em right now. Um, with all due respect to the University of South Carolina, he probably has a better chance of winning the men's because all he needs basically is for Gonzaga to win out. Um, but but it is definitely possible. And Sad Charlie Brown, shouts to Sad Charlie Brown, um, currently on top of the men's bracket, but he, he needs Baylor to climb this ridiculous Gonzaga mountain. Um, who, it's unclear that they've even broken a sweat in this tournament so far. But if Baylor can somehow pull it out, he'll he'll pull it out. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousebo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.